Today on Blue 58, we've got a Packers draft class, and it is different. What do we make of it? I've got some complicated feelings about it, and I'll try to share some of them with you on this episode. Plus, now that the initial Jordan Love angst has cooled a little bit, does the pick still look as crazy? Let's talk about that. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. Boy, that was a weekend, wasn't it? I wanted to say I had fun with the draft this weekend. I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, I had an interesting weekend with the draft. Can't say it was boring. The Packers did a lot of stuff. Some of it good, some of it bad. Some of it good, but at the wrong time. Some of it bad, but also at the wrong time. We'll talk through all of it. First and foremost, there are just a few things that I want to talk about with this draft class. First, I think it proves that valuation is harder than evaluation. That is not an original concept to me. Heard somebody say that this weekend. I thought it was a really good point. Valuation, figuring out where you should take a player, is a lot harder than evaluation. And I think that came back to bite the Packers here a couple times throughout this draft class. There are some good players that they got. A.J. Dillon is a good example. He seems like a real solid player. I'm not sure it is a good value for the Packers or for a running back in general to take him in the second round. It's hard to balance how good you think guys are with where you think you should take them. It's a classic problem the Oakland Raiders had way back in the day when Al Davis was making all the picks for, for them. You get a guy who's just a phenomenal athlete and may end up being a good player, but he takes him like fourth overall. That's too high. It doesn't work out for a guy that's just got some great athletic skill set. That's valuation versus evaluation in a nutshell, and I think that shows that the Packers may have had a little bit of trouble with that this weekend. I also think this draft is the latest piece of evidence that Brian Gutekunst values players a lot differently than many, if not most, other general managers. I think we've got a, a string of of examples here now, dating back to Jimmy Graham, that contract he gave him, give, making him the top tight end, top paid tight end in the league, looks like a missed valuation. Same's kind of true for Dean Lowry. The extension they gave him seems to way overpay what his market value would be. And I praised that one at the time. I'm still not entirely sure it was a bad idea to resign him. The dollar figures don't necessarily make makes sense in terms of value though. Jordan Love, um, a similar kind of question this weekend. Was that a good value for him uh, regardless of what you think of of the pick in general uh, from a personnel management? Was that just a good value for Jordan Love? The same thing with Josiah DeGara. Was that a good value there? uh, Did he just, did the Packers just overvalue him? I think you can make the case that Brian Gutekunst is consistently either overvaluing or just valuing guys a lot differently than the rest of the NFL. I'm not saying that's good or bad, but I think it's something to keep an eye on um, and to be aware of as we evaluate his decisions as the general manager. Third, I think it's true that you can like the players, the Packers, on an individual basis without liking the whole class. And I'll circle back here to A.J. Dillon. Um, as an example, I like him. I think he's a good player. I don't think it was the best use of the Packers' resources to take him in the second round, especially considering the other needs that they have on the roster. That's a situation where I think you got to figure out how to trade out or trade up, if you have to, to make the board work for you. 
Sometimes you want to let the draft come to you. The way things were going in that first couple rounds, the Packers, I think, maybe needed to be a little bit more aggressive. Move up or move back and get some more picks to replenish like that fourth rounder you gave up for Jordan Love. Looking at some of the offensive linemen that went around where the Packers would have been picking in the fourth round, you can see where they painted themselves into a corner a little bit. But I think still the point is true that you can like players individually without liking them as a part of the Packers draft class. I was pleasantly surprised that the Packers ended up taking or acquiring otherwise uh, because one of them came aboard now as an undrafted free agent. Five players that we talked about during our podcast preview series. Dylan, Patrick Taylor, um, an undrafted free agent running back. Degara, John Runyon Jr. and Jonathan Garvin were all players that we talked about as potential fits for the Packers. Pretty pleased to see that. And I think you can like those guys individually without necessarily liking where they were taken. When you put it all together, I think it's also true and fair to say that the board may have gotten away from Brian Gutekunst and company at times, especially early on. There was a big run on wide receivers that kind of almost made it so they had to pick Jordan Love. That's how I read his comments after that pick, saying he's the only player that they liked on the board at that time makes you wonder who else came off the board that they would have liked. The same kind of seemed to be true at 62 when they take A.J. Dillon. They almost described it like they took those guys because they didn't think there was anybody else that they could take at that time that would give them a value um, according to where they fell on their board. That seems like a problem that you're ending up in that situation. And again, I think that's a situation where you got to be a little bit more aggressive or pile up some more picks. I do not believe Brian Gutekunst when he says this does not represent a schematic shift for the Packers or an overall philosophical shift. I just think that's a load of malarkey, to borrow a quote from Joe Biden, I guess. Um, A.J. Dillon is not a... He doesn't seem like an outside zone sort of running back. He did a a fair amount of outside running at at, at Boston College, but he does not seem like he's got any sort of wiggle. Um, And he certainly doesn't contribute in the passing game the way that the Packers have used their backs in the past. Even under Mike McCarthy, a very simplistic use of, of backs in the passing game, it doesn't seem like he fits with that. Josiah DeGara seems like another example of that. Taking him in the third round is problematic for me enough But look at him against every other tight end that they've taken since the turn of the century. Only DJ Williams is remotely close to the kind of H-back that this guy is. A smallish, more fullback-oriented tight end. In the third round, nonetheless. I just don't buy it when Gutekunst says that this isn't a shift. It just is. It's different than what they've done in the past. Finally, I think this draft kind of showed us once and for all that the Packers could not give less of a crap about having a dynamic inside linebacker. They waited until Kamal Martin on day three to make that move at linebacker, despite, according to some, desperately needing one. I don't know if I'd go that far. But they didn't go with a linebacker when they had the opportunity early. Patrick Queen was there when they traded up. And they just passed. And passed and passed and passed as the as the draft wore on. Didn't seem to be a priority at all. 
And I think that's reflective of what the Packers have done in the past. Finally, before we get to individual players, um, I think just if you stack this draft a little bit differently in a couple different ways, um, I feel like I would be a lot more positive on what they did in general. And if ultimately if these guys turn out to be good, it doesn't really matter where you take them, but you get the sense on a lot of these picks that they could have been there a little bit later. Just for the sake of argument, say that you had taken all taken somebody different in the first round, but then taken each of the Packers' first three picks, Jordan Love, A.J. Dillon, Degara, and just taken them around later. So you get Love in the second, Dillon in the third, Degara in the fourth, that's a pretty solid draft class. I would feel a lot better than that about that. The when is the is more bothersome to me than the who. And that, that's partly because of the positional value. But also, I think if you just took the positions that the Packers took and inverted their whole draft class, I would also feel a lot better about it. Say they'd gone with an edge rusher early, then a safety, then three offensive linemen, then an inside linebacker, then a tight end, then a running back, then a quarterback. I think that's a lot more representative of the of the value they should have had on guys in this class than what they ended up doing. That doesn't mean anything at all. I just thought it was sort of an interesting way of looking at it. If you just turn their class upside down by positions and went with bigger guys first or bigger guys than a defensive back and then more big guys, I would have felt a lot better about the class. Not that my opinion matters to Brian Gutekunst at all. It's just we're thinking out loud here. Let's talk quickly about some of these guys individually before moving on to our, our another look at Jordan Love. A.J. Dillon. I think there's a lot to like about this guy. Big, strong running back. I've got concerns about how he contributes in the passing game. Scouts say he can do it. If he could do it, why didn't he? Um, that is my big question for a guy as athletic as he is, why can't you figure out how to get him involved in the passing game? Maybe he was just so good on the ground that you didn't see any reason to. I respect that. I I don't entirely buy it. Um, I think this, more than anything, more than insurance for Jones or, or Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams leaving next year, might just be it for Jamal Williams this year. I think if you look at the four running backs the Packers have, I guess plus Patrick Taylor, uh, their other undrafted free agent pickup, if I had to pick one guy who's the odd man out right now who looks redundant, it's Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones is a dynamic talent, and the Packers are going to feature him a lot. A.J. Dillon's a second-round pick. His roster spot is safe this year. Tyler Irvin gives you a lot of value in the return game uh, as a passing option on offense as a just sort of flat-out speed option on offense. Of those three plus Jamal Williams, Williams seems like the odd man out. Between Dylan and Williams, it seems like you've got a lot of redundancy. If I'm the Packers, I'm probably looking to move on from Jamal Williams sooner than later, get some value there now. Josiah Degara, I love his versatility. I like that he can do a lot of different things. And I, I really don't have anything against this pick other than where he was taken. I don't think the third round is is the right spot for him. Uh, the Patriots got Dalton Keene, another guy that we talked about in the fifth round. 
that seems like a much better fit for somebody who does the sort of things that it, it looks like they're going to ask Degara to do. Basically, a fullback. You you spent a third round pick on what amounts to 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 a fullback here. I just I don't see that working out. That confuses me. Kamal Martin, kind of nothing. This pick. Uh, the Packers have a thing for having their number two linebacker be a sort of a, a big, thick dude who's going to be primarily run oriented. He likes his coverage ability a lot. I was on the conference call with him um, when he was talking to reporters just listening. I wasn't asking questions. Um, and he really likes his his coverage ability. He thinks he can cover, cover tight ends down the seam. Uh, thinks he can cover running backs out of the backfield. Maybe that's true. Uh, you don't see it from what he puts on on tape. Like athletically, I, I think he can do it at the college level. I'm I'm skeptical of him doing it as a pro, but I do like his size, and I really like that he's a more traditional linebacker. Uh, I don't remember if I said it on the podcast. And I, I I talked about this with somebody online too. Um, I don't remember if I, I said this here or in a conversation with somebody else, but I was hoping that if the Packers did pick a linebacker. It was somebody who was in more of the traditional linebacker mold, i.e. they're not a converted safety. Martin came to college as a converted quarterback, but that's in the distant past now. He's been a linebacker for a long time. That is more what I'm looking for from the Packers um, in terms of making a move at at linebacker, and and it seems like he is that. So we don't have to have a guy figure out how to move from, from safety kind of like Oren Burks. You don't have to play an undersized guy there. He's at least got the big body. Uh, John Runyon um, liked him as a guard tackle option. He's going to keep that tackle to guard pipeline going for the Packers. Like the pick there. And that's really the, the last one I have a significant take on. The next two linemen that they took, fine depth guys. Vernon Scott seems like a good athlete. Jonathan Garvin and Edge we mentioned as a good height weight prospect for the Packers. Um but he's a seventh-round pick, so probably looking at practice squad there or a special teamer. But again, good height-weight prospect, uh, a lot to like there in terms of the physical tools. Overall, I think it's hard to kind of find a defining characteristic of this draft class. Uh, it seems run-oriented on offense, big power-oriented um, stuff. And, I, and I'll say this. The NFL, for about a generation now, has been getting smaller and smaller. More sub-packages, more speed on the field, smaller, multi-position type guys. At some point, there's going to be a correction back the other way. Going to be big personnel, um, bigger personnel, maybe more power-oriented, because that is that becomes the market inefficiency, right? If everybody is doing one thing, you can get an advantage if you do something else. Sooner or later, that's going to happen. Maybe this is an early indicator of the Packers trying to go that way. Tight end heavy, big backs, a lot of interior linemen, tight ends that are fullbacks, get a lot of power on the field. Maybe you can win that way. It's a possibility. And I think league-wide, it is going to happen at some point. So maybe just watch out for that. Maybe that is the early version of what we're seeing here. I'm willing to be wrong on this draft class. And like I said, I think there's a lot to like about guys individually. But right now, where, where I'm sitting, I'm not I'm not sold on, on the moves the Packers made or when they made them this weekend. Let's talk about the most notable of those moves, drafting Jordan Love in the first round. 
in the heat of the moment, right after the pick came out, I used one word to describe it on Twitter, indefensible. And I've got a colleague in this podcasting world, Zach Rappaport of the uh, Acme Packing Company podcast, who needled me about that a little bit, good-naturedly. We talked about it uh, Saturday while watching the draft. Um, Jokingly called me Mr. Indefensible. I think, for me, that felt a little bit out of character, a little bit hot-takey. And I thought about it long and hard over the past couple days. Do I really mean that word? Is this move really indefensible? Because that's a pretty pointed word, isn't it? Saying something's indefensible, there's no justifiable reason for doing what you're doing. So let's talk about the defenses. What are some of the reasons that Brian Gutekunst and, and people who who are talking about this as a as a pick they can they can defend? What are some of the defenses? And I'll try not to straw man these. I want to be fair. Um, the first one, first and biggest one that I saw about Jordan Love and and the decision to take him is that he's a good value at twenty six. And values like this just don't come along that often at the end of the first round. You can't get a guy you think of as a potential first-round quarterback at the end of the first round or early second round. It just doesn't happen. You don't get these opportunities. And that sounds like a great argument. It just has the problem of not being remotely true. Jordan Love is a very physically talented quarterback, but there are a lot of question marks about his game, a lot of fair question marks, I think, about who he is as a player. And guys like that are there in the late first round or early second round every single year. Every single year. 2019, it was Drew Locke. Here's a quote from his scouting report. See if this sounds familiar. Has as much pure talent as any quarterback from the 2019 draft. But he won't reach that lofty potential unless he improves his accuracy and learns to play better with in-game presence. With better in-game presence. 2018. Lamar Jackson goes 32nd. Quote from his scouting report. Like Deshaun Watson in 2017, Jackson has the ability to counter mental mistakes and turnovers with a high number of explosive touchdown-making plays. Yep, he's got talent. There's going to be some warts there. 2017. This should be a familiar name for Packers fans. Deshaun Kaiser. Some people talked about him like he was the best player in that entire draft class. Quote, Kaiser has the ability to become a quality starter, but he has to improve his ball placement and field vision first, end quote. 2016, it was Paxton Lynch. People talked about him or or scouts talked about him as a potential Pro Bowl level quarterback talent. Quoting from his scouting report, Lynch shows the ability to read defenses and make smart decisions, but not yet at an NFL starting level. While he has the physical tools to start right away, a team who is willing to allow him to sit and study his craft for a year could reap maximum rewards in the future. These guys are there each and every year. There's always a guy at the end of the first round or the early second round who people wonder if he should have gone higher, should have gone lower, but they, they all say he's physically talented, but I've just got questions about him. Here's just what they said about Jordan Love, just to pull a similar line from his scouting report. He has the arm to stick throws into tight window, but needs to better eye discipline and anticipation to keep windows open. His size, mobility, and arm talent, combined with his 2018 flashes, could be a winning hand that leads a team into the future or a siren song of erratic play and unfulfilled potential. End quote. It's the same song and dance with one quarterback 
every year. Always a guy that they say, yep, he's got all the talent in the world if he can just put it together or learn to make good decisions or X, Y, and Z, whatever it happens to be. Those guys are there every year. So no, I do not buy the defense that there there was just too much value on the board there to pass up. Because if it wasn't true for Heisman Trophy winning quarterback Lamar Jackson in 2018, why would it be more true this year. Second argument I've seen a lot is that, well, he's not necessarily the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. Rodgers could still play into his 40. If that's true, then you really wasted a pick. The value on a rookie quarterback is in the contract. It's a cheap contract for a while. You can build around him, spend more money than you otherwise would on other pieces. If Aaron Rodgers does play into his 40s, plays throughout the life of the contract, you'll only have at most, I think, loves fifth-year option left. And by that point, you're getting pretty expensive as a, a rookie contract quarterback. You've used up all the savings. So you just use kind of a vanity pick on a backup quarterback here. That's all you've really done if Aaron Rodgers does indeed play out his contract. You've drafted a backup quarterback in the first round. One year hoping never plays. Or you're setting yourself up to have to make a really hard decision with a still competent, still playing at a high level Aaron Rodgers in a couple of years. Do you eat his contract, trade him out, and uh, and set up another Brett Favre situation? Those are the options. Either he plays out his, his contract and you never really get to see Jordan Love as a starter, or eventually you set yourself up to have to make a decision on Aaron Rodgers, and you're back where you started with Brett Favre. I don't think either of those are really good plans if you're drafting a quarterback in the first round. So I don't buy that defense. The other one I've seen a lot is that he's going to develop. We can knock that one out pretty quick. I don't think quarterbacks really develop in the NFL anymore. I I just think that's a myth at this point that guys are going to sit down, take good notes in meetings, and figure out how to be a quarterback at the NFL level. We are at a position with coach life cycles, with contracts, with guys needing to play earlier and earlier that if you're not good when you come into the NFL, you're not going to be here for long and your coach is probably going to get fired before you can develop into anything anyway. Either you're good or you're not. And even somebody like Patrick Mahomes, I don't think he really developed all that much in the time that he sat. You just took a little bit of pressure off of him from having to be the guy from day one. He could he could come up to speed a little bit. But really, they had him on the field and ready to go late in his his rookie year anyway. I don't think guys are really developing that much. And I don't think Love is going to develop enough in the time that teams have with him that it's going to make much of a difference. I've also seen the argument downplaying his his failures in college that he was in a flawed system or had bad coaches and that stability now is going to help him. That may be true. But that was supposed to be the story for Brett Hundley and for Deshaun Kaiser and for Paxton Lynch, guys that we've mentioned, I guess in addition to Hundley, as that talented but flawed player taken at the end of the first round. Maybe it just doesn't really matter that much the kind of system that you're in, and you're either a good player or you're a bad player. And when you're drafting these guys, that were in these bad situations, maybe you just get lucky and get a guy who's actually good and wasn't playing that well. Or maybe you're just drafting a bad player. If you if your guy needs that system to prop him up that much, your system better be really good. 
And after the offensive numbers didn't change all that much from Mike McCarthy in 2018 to Matt LaFleur in 2019, how sure are we that the system is that good? I'm not. And I don't think there's a lot of reason to be. LaFleur's system didn't seem to help Marcus Mariota that much. Why is it now all of a sudden going to help Jordan Love? I think these are bad defenses of this pick. And as a result, I I have to circle back to that word. I don't think there's a good defense for this pick. The ultimate defense is that Jordan Love turns out to be good. And if that's the argument that you want to go with in your first round selection of a guy who's not going to play, okay, I guess you got me there. You think he's good? I don't think he's good. We can wait and see what plays out. But don't tell me that it was just a bad system and it's going to get better because we've seen that that's not necessarily the case for guys. Don't tell me he's going to develop because I don't think that's true. Don't tell me he's not necessarily the heir apparent because that just means you're drafting a backup quarterback in the first round, which seems ridiculous. And don't tell me that talents like this don't come around every year because they do. And if your system was really that great at developing quarterbacks, would it matter? Shouldn't you be able to stick just about any schmo who's got an arm and can put things together mentally into your system and be able to figure it out, get some good value there? I don't know. So yeah, maybe I am comfortable calling it indefensible. Maybe that's a little bit hot takey. I don't know. I feel pretty good about it. We'll see. And that's the ultimate thing with these draft classes. We'll see. Coming up next time on Blue 58, we're going to talk about the undrafted free agent classes. I think there are some guys worth talking about here, some guys that we we can get a lot out of in Green Bay. We're also going to take some of your questions. Intended to get to those in this episode. If you ask some online, I've got an email from Mikkel. I've got a couple tweets that we didn't get to today. We will spend some time on that. Um, in the next episode after we talk about undrafted free agents. So if you've got questions about this class, let me know. Uh, I would love to answer them. And then we will get back on track later this week with the Blue 58 Book Club. Um, Some interesting stuff coming up there. As for this time, that's all I've got for you in this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If there's somebody you think would appreciate hearing what we've got to say here, uh, share this podcast with them because we're trying to grow the 10 here. We're trying to keep conversations going around the Packers because that's going to help us all become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.